All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. Hey, you guys, check it out on the line. I've got the great Jim Bovard, author of most books that have ever been published. Welcome back to the show. How you doing, Jim? Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me on. It's a really long list of books. Uh, the Farm Fiasco and Freedom and Chains and Feeling Your Pain. Oh, The Fair Trade Fraud. That was a good one there. And uh, then, of course, my favorite is, uh, oh, well, uh, don't let me forget the Bush betrayal. And then my very favorite is Attention Deficit Democracy. But then you had that great memoir, too, which was dang on the right on the tip of my tongue. The, oh, uh, public policy hooligan. <laughs> very good. I love this guy. Hey, man, uh, happy to have you here uh, back on the show. Let's talk about this thing you wrote for the New York Post. Oh, did I mention that Jim is a regular contributor to the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org? That's a fact. Although here you are in the New York Post inside the FBI's infiltration and entrapment of a Michigan militia crew. And not just that, but inside the jury's acquittal of most of them and hung jury on the rest and total failure of the federal prosecutors to prove their case, even to a federal jury, which, as we know, those were created by the state in order to rubber stamp convictions on whatever they want. They get like a, what, 98% conviction rate or better in federal court. I'm yeah, rambling. Uh, Go ahead and say things. Well. What happened here? Well, I mean, it, uh, um, it was such a bizarre case. And this is something that the FBI. Now, there was a um, it, it, it goes back to the uh, start of the pandemic. Um, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer was one of the most heavy handed governors here here in the U.S. And she uh, uh, basically, as soon as the pandemic started, she dictated, uh, she basically put everybody in the state under house arrest and said that anyone who left their home to visit family or friends could be fined $1,000 and business owners faced three years in prison for refusing to close for stores. I mean, but it was a very, a very biased uh, set of shutdowns. I mean, there was, you know, uh, people ragged on it because they were people could not buy gardening supplies there in the spring in Michigan, but people could still buy state lottery tickets. So it was kind of it was kind of peculiar. But she totally wrecked the Michigan economy. The unemployment soared to 24 percent, the kind of level they had in the Great Depression. And her policies caused huge anger among people whose jobs were destroyed, whose businesses were destroyed. Some of those folks were very outspoken. Uh, yammering like a bunch of, um, well, yeah, doing a lot of yammering. And then so what happened was some FBI informants came in and started working on some of the people that were already shouting and angry and uh, persuaded them to join this plot, uh, which was basically uh, contrived by the FBI. And um, it was it was a, uh, a zany idea to to kidnap Governor Whitmer from her vacation home and take her someplace else, maybe Lake Michigan, maybe Wisconsin, and put her on trial. Uh, so a number of the folks who were charged in this case explicitly said that they did not want to have anything to do with the kidnapping. 
But the uh, federal informants and the undercover FBI agents, there were there were about 12 guys charged in this case or fingered in this case. And there were about four. There were more than that of the informants and the undercover FBI agents. It was set up by the feds from the get go. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I talked with uh, Ken Bensinger, who's done the best journalism. Oh, he has done great work on this. Excellent work. And and uh, yeah, he talked about how at one point, at least there were more than a dozen informants inside this plot. (laughs) So um, now. There's so many different aspects to this. I guess, you know, um, I forget. I read both y'all's articles this morning. I forget which one of you brought up when the uh, Supreme Court redefined entrapment down. Uh, yeah. Uh, that uh, that's, yeah. 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 That was my uh, New York Post piece. Right. This so talk about that I... a little bit because, you know, in other words, there's a real question here. There should be a real question in the mind of everyone listening. Were these guys going to hurt the governor and the FBI stopped them or not? I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Yes, uh, this is a this is an a, a issue which I wrote about for uh, Playboy back in the 19, uh, 1990s. And it was, you know, back in the early 1900s, the, the Supreme Court carved out a clear standard for uh, making an entrapment defense. But what happened was that Nixon's favorite uh, Supreme Court justice, uh, uh, Rehnquist gutted most of those defenses against government entrapment by focusing almost solely on the subjective disposition of the person who was entrapped. So if prosecutors can find anything in a person's history or or in their comments or in their disposition that showed that they might have leaned towards that crime, then the person is guilty no matter what what the government agents did. There have been a number of cases in which government undercover agents use sex to entrap people to sell drugs or to do other things. And the federal judges said, well, you know, that's not going too far. So it means, you know, it means that you can't trust a woman, even if she gives you a, well, anyhow, I think you get the gist. <laughs> Be careful now, Jim, you're going to get us canceled here and well, demonetized. Oh, uh, oh, hey, hey, I don't let that happen. I saw that. I, I saw your tweet today on your warning from Google. So what a load of crap. Yeah, well, you better tow the State Department line or no more dollars for you. Although dollars ain't worth what they used to be anyway, so what the hell? Well, it's all Putin's fault. So yeah. but so, so the thing that happened is you had the Supreme Court defined entrapment almost out of existence. And because of that, there was an explosion in entrapments. Uh, you know, uh, uh, after 9-11, the, uh, the FBI basically had a terror factory, as Trevor Arison wrote, uh, and uh, but only about one percent of the 500 people who were uh, convicted, uh, charged with terrorism offenses after in the decade after 9/11 were actually threats. Thirty times as many as, as those people were induced by the FBI to behave in ways that prompted their arrest. Yeah, and listen, I know that that's true because I kept up with them all along too, and not all 250, 300 of them, but. Uh, as you attest in your article here, the great Trevor Aronson has in his book, The Terror Factory. He really goes through a litany of these. And uh, I actually Excellent had a book, book proposal once upon a time to do a book like this, although no one would take it. And I didn't know I could just do it myself, really. So I didn't. But people might remember. Do they remember anymore? Liberty City 7, the Fort Dix oh, yes. pizza plot, the uh, JFK airport 
um, fuel storage depot, the remote control plane attack on the Pentagon, the Christmas lights of Portland, Oregon, the poor kid Hamid Hyatt out there in Lodi, California, where the FBI informant just infiltrated him and his dad and then trapped this port, just essentially browbeat this kid into saying something stupid and never even doing anything to anyone. And then, and it just on and on and on it goes. Oh, the poor guys of the synagogue plot in Brooklyn. And, you know, all of these things are just completely ridiculous entrapments. And there are, and right. then as Trevor documents, there are 250, 300 like this, where it's just some poor schmuck. Remember the kid they entrapped on the Brooklyn Bridge? They went to the Islamic bookstore and they found the slowest kid there, which I don't even know what he was doing at the bookstore. You know, found the dumbest kid there and said, yeah, what you're going to do is you're going to destroy the Brooklyn Bridge. Here's a blowtorch, <laughs> you know. I don't even know if they had him a, a real blowtorch. They just had him agree to accept one someday or something. Um, yeah, well, this is, amazing. this is yeah, this is typical of, of how those those plots were hatched. Um, and part of what fascinated me about this case, uh, BuzzFeed's Ken Bensinger did some superb work on talking how the federal judge blocked the defense lawyers for, from introducing into the uh, evidence at the trial the vast majority of evidence of how the government had set up the um, set up the uh, case and set up the the uh, defendants. Mm -hmm. I mean, for, for instance, uh, uh, BuzzFeed noted. Wait, wait, that the judge no, hold, really hold that thought for just one moment, Jim, so sure. that I can say everyone. It's uh, at BuzzFeed. It's called a stunning surprise in the Michigan kidnapping case by Ken Bensinger, like Ben Singer, and. It does have the litany that Jim's about to describe. Go ahead. Very important. Yeah, there was a quote from that piece noted that the judge ruled that the defendants could not inquire about the past conduct of several FBI agents, though the government would be allowed to question the, 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 the defendants about episodes in their past. But 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 luckily there was enough there that the jury was able to smell a federal rat. There was there were some funny details on how this how this stuff shook out. There was there, there was the the lead FBI agent who was the um, so-called face of the entire um, you know um, uh, case against these kidnappers. And there was there was a wonderful you know FBI had trouble with this guy. The uh, there was a wonderful phrase in the New York Times that said that um, you know that the lead FBI agent was arrested for beating his wife during an argument over an orgy that the two had attended at a hotel in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mm -hmm. So, you know, orgies in Kalamazoo always work out bad. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, you simply have got to avoid any orgy in you invite, invite a bunch of feds to it, you know? Well, yeah, no, there's kind of, there's jokes I could make, but I guess you're trying to avoid getting canceled by Google, so I'll shut the hell out. <laughs> I don't give a damn. Screw that, man. Uh, go ahead. So, uh, so it was. So it was a totally. You know, um, I'm all in favor of the idea of fully informed juries, but what this case illustrated was how the prosecutors working with the judge can rig what juries learn because uh, there are so many things which are uh, the juries never hear about. Uh, there were and the and the BuzzFeed story had a superb litany of the some of the key witnesses that, that that could have testified, but they were threatened by the feds, so they, you know, um, invoked the Fifth Amendment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, not to sound like Pollyanna over here or anything, but some of those things seem like there must be some kind of precedent against feds just 
looking at a list of defense witnesses and coming up with things to threaten them about in case they're thinking about testifying for the defense. I and mean, what the hell is this? The South um, or something? <laughs> well, it's, uh, it, was, it was a fascinating piece in BuzzFeed because it really showed, um, you know, um, how the game is played for, a, uh, for a, a high-profile case like this where the feds have put all their prestige on the line and the feds want to do anything to win, that nope, 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 muzzle, 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 muzzle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so you only hear about the federal agents and then you hear the uh, tapes from some of the dumb things that some of the defendants said. I was giving a talk last year to the um, Maryland LP, uh, Maryland Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, there were, a, there were a number of things like this that were percolating. And so I was making the point, if the FBI wants to talk to you, what do you do? You shut the hell up. You know, you, you get that FBI 302 form. There, there's no tape recording of what you said. It's your word against the FBI agent and his memo. You're screwed. So, um, but there were uh, there were a lot of dumb things that these these plotters said. But they would tend to sit around, smoke a lot of dope, and then run their mouths. And you know, I was telling an editor part of my perspective on this entire case is I was raised in the mountains of Virginia, and I was used to hearing redneck blather. And, you know, redneck, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to blow that out while they HM Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sleep it off. So, but when you got tape recordings, when you've got all these, um, all these informants and this, um, you know, um, it can look really bad. There was, uh, so that was, that was some of how the case played out. Yeah, man. Um, it's so funny because this was so obviously a hoax from the beginning. Just when you've seen so many of these. But you know what was important here was the timing. This is October 2020. These are all supposedly a bunch of Trump guys. Going to kidnap and murder the lady governor, huh? Yep, and it was it played out that way. It was uh, There were a number of former FBI agents who, who spoke up as soon as this uh, as soon as this case was announced, there was a guy, Frank uh, 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 Figaluzzi on, on MSNBC, uh, announced that Trump should be investigated for aiding and abetting the Michigan plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were comments uh, similar. There were comments extreme by Andrew McCabe as well. I don't recall exactly what he said. Uh, uh, Governor Whitmer said that, uh, you know, said that Trump, that, that when our leaders meet with and fraternize with domestic terrorists, they are complicit. So this was a storyline at the same time as early voting was going on. I mean, and there were like uh, there were like eighty or ninety thousand tweets on the day of the um, the announcement of the arrest that said "Stop Trump Terror," mm-hmm. and and uh, and it got huge play, probably a hundred times more than the jury verdicts last week have gotten. And so and. It was during the early voting, and Biden won the early voting in the presidential race. Trump won on the day of the election. Trump's campaign wasn't too bright, but that's another story. Uh, so, but this is this is, and it was an intentional effort by the FBI, by at least some FBI officials, to, you know, it certainly appears that there was an intentional effort to aid the Biden campaign. Hang on, just one second. Hey guys, I have some wasps in my house. So I shot them to death with my trusty Bug Assault 3.0 model with the improved salt reservoir and bar safety. I don't have a deal with them, 
but the show does earn a kickback every time you get a bug of salt or anything else you buy from Amazon.com by way of the link in the right-hand margin on the front page at scotthorton.org. So keep that in mind. And don't worry about the mess. Your wife will clean it up. Green Mill Supercritical is the award-winning leader in cannabis oil extraction. Their machines are absolute top of the line. They simply work better and accomplish more for less than any competitor in the world. We're talking anywhere from a couple of hundred thousand dollars for the base model and up. So this is for serious business people here. But the price, as they say, will be worth it. Green Mill Supercritical customers' investments pay for themselves oftentimes in just weeks. Simple enough for almost any operator. Deep enough for master technicians. Their new novel techniques for inline real-time winterization are leaving their competitors in the key. That's GreenMillSuperCritical.com. Man, I wish I was in school so I could drop out and sign up for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom instead. Tom has done such a great job on putting together a classical curriculum for everyone from junior high schoolers on up through the postgraduate level. And it's all very reasonably priced. Just make sure you click through from the link in the right margin at scotthorton.org. Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Real history. Real economics. Real education. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, at the same time, the CIA was suppressing the Republicans' October surprise against Hunter Biden with a blatant lie that somehow, what, the FSB planted a laptop at this repair shop? They never even said. They said Russian disinformation, even though it never made any sense whatsoever on the face of it, couldn't possibly really be Russian disinformation. But anyway, they completely buried that story with the CIA. Then on the other hand, the FBI is making up one for the Democrats. And a big one, too. I mean, kidnapping and murdering a lady governor, that's not nothing if it was real. And close enough for government work in this case, right? I mean, that's probably a percent or two or three across the board, Jim, right? I don't know how much influence or um, I don't know how many votes it swayed, but it certainly uh, added to the narrative that, that, that Trump was basically, uh, you know, um, a total dictator who uh, who needed to be uh, taken out of office. So uh, it, it's interesting with the FBI. The, um, the this this was the second presidential election in a row that they tried to fix. In 2016, they were doing their Comey was in charge of the investigation of Hillary's emails. And it was such a sham of an investigation that they never talked to Hillary until the last day of the investigation. And the FBI agents went to meet with Hillary and her top lawyers and her aides. And they sat around the table. There was no video recording. There was no audio recording. And FBI agents later admitted that they planned to absolve Hillary Clinton unless she offered a confession. And so this is how the FBI uh, treated someone who had violated numerous federal laws with her, with her, with her email cover-up, with her server in her home that was not secure. This is how they treated a presidential candidate. It was a complete sham of an investigation. Yep. Well, and they went along with the Democrats' Russiagate hoax from the beginning, too. I mean, they were the primary well, they drivers were... even more than John Brennan and Clapper and the intelligence guys. It was the FBI counterintelligence division that was really responsible for Russiagate more than anybody else. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, it goes back to what Harry Truman said in the 1940s, uh, uh, once he was president. He, was, he wrote in his diary, he was worried the FBI becoming an American Gestapo. And it's like, uh, you know, 
maybe they're not a Gestapo, but they are, they are pulling an awful lot of strings. And to see the, the, the deference of most of the media coverage, I mean, you get so many Washington reporters who are just kind of uh, standing out outside FBI headquarters waiting for a handout or, or, or some leak, which they can uh, throw in a headline. Uh, so the uh, media has just been, um, in, in most cases, worse than useless on the FBI. Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, they just take anything they say as just absolutely true. In fact, I mean, not just the FBI, but just government itself, too. Like, you know, we, we don't know it's raining until the, you know, uh, uh, National, National Weather, Weather Service, Service says so. You know, it yeah. seems like it's wet outside. I don't know, you know. But uh, I remember when the, right at the dawn of the Iraq, of, uh, Iraq War II, when the space shuttle exploded over Palestine, Texas with an Israeli on board, and uh, coincidentally enough. And everybody knew the damn space shuttle blew up, Jim, for like two and a half hours or something. Of course it blew up. It didn't land on the runway when it was scheduled to land, did it? There's flaming wreckage pouring out of the sky, and people, like, picking it up and holding it in their hands. They're dead. It's over. But the TV and the radio would only say, well... Apparently, it seems like there may have been some kind of malfunction or this kind of noncommittal language until That's finally bizarre. after lunchtime, W. Bush, the president, confirmed that the space shuttle exploded. Only oh, then would they adapt their language from, geez, apparently, allegedly, seemingly, it might have been to, like, yeah, of course, the damn thing exploded, you know? Wow. And that was, you know, that's how you know something is true is when the president says that it is. And yeah, so that explains I mean, and everything. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it, it's a very interesting standard because uh, something which happens in some uh, crime or alleged crime cases, the uh, you know there there there's uh, there's slow media comments or specifics because there's concern about libel, but it's not a question of libel when it's when it's criticizing the FBI because the uh, great thing about American libel law is that, fed, is that government agencies cannot sue private citizens. Uh, so um, unlike Britain and some other countries. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's how it works in Britain. I've been wrong before. Yeah, well, they certainly have an official secrets act that's... Oh my God, it's, it's horrible. Yeah, it it's, is horrible. And you know, we do too, right? I mean, our espionage act does go that far in writing. It just hasn't been applied as such until Assange now that publishers, too, can be indicted and criminally prosecuted, not just leakers, but leakies. Well, it's interesting how how Julian Assange vanished in the uh, in memory hall at the same time the Washington Post front pages every day is outraged about atrocities in a foreign war. Too bad they didn't care about Assange. Yeah, no, they don't give a damn about him. It's amazing. And, and they must know, like if anybody understands this, they must know the precedent being set, but they still think they can get away with staying in the government's good graces rather than standing on principle. It's really <laughs> disgrace, <laughs> dude. Standing on yeah. principle. Okay, hell, that's the funniest thing I heard all day. I wasn't sure if you're laughing about good graces on delay there or, you know, the government's good graces, because I think they'll turn on any of their own kept little pets anytime too. You know, that's just as laughable. Well, it's, I mean, it's a mess at so many different levels. It's, um, you know, but, but the system doesn't have the, the um, it, um, it isn't calibrated to make the self-corrections because the uh, biggest bootlickers rise to the top. Yep. 
Hey, speaking of which, too. This oh, this judge, is a great transition. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, back to this judge who excluded the entire defense case here. Two questions. First of all, how come there's never even any accountability? This guy, at least he got named in Bensinger's piece. I'm not sure if he got named in yours, maybe. But uh, they get no publicity. There's never even a fantasy of a daydream of a question of a possibility of accountability for a corrupt federal judge who makes horrible, horrible rulings, excluding a defense case. When it turns out the jury agrees, they actually didn't do it anyway. Makes him look to me like a co-conspirator in a false prosecution. In this trumped-up entrapment case, he's just a member of the prosecutor's team. But, you know, John Oliver's not going to do a special on HBO about how he should be run out of power somehow or some kind of thing. There will be no impeachment hearing for bad behavior by the Senate, <laughs> right? Like, he, he just gets to go on being Judge Robert J. Jonker, right? Yeah. Uh, yes, and uh, I just checked my New York Post piece. The piece did include his name. Good. Uh, but, but, but Damn him. But it wasn't, it wasn't a situation of the judge being corrupt. He was simply helping the government win. Oh, that's all. That's his job, no, after all. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's enough. Now, uh, here's a, you know, somebody has some interesting comments on Twitter on this, was saying, like, uh, you know, they saw my piece and, and they were saying, well, I assume there's going to be a big investigation on in Washington on this to find out how all this went down. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm on the edge of my chair again oh, on this oh, one. So, oh, oh. yeah, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't able to do the laugh on cue. So, <laughs> I got you uh, covered, buddy. I, I appreciate that. No, it's just, I, I mean, this is the kind of thing that I would love to see the internal uh, FBI emails and texts because there may have been some people in the FBI say, yeah, folks, what the hell are we doing here? I mean, this is way over the line. Jonathan Turley had a good column on this a day or so ago where he said that it was a, a case of entrapment that went far beyond what was what was what would be considered a reasonable enticement. So. Uh, but I don't, I don't expect any investigations. It might, you know, uh, there's very little, um, you know, focused, um, pushback against the FBI. I mean, there's been very little effective investigating the FBI for their abuses in Russiagate or with a Hillary email, um, you know, so-called investigation. And, you know, the FBI has gotten away with so much. They can always say, Hey, it's state secrets go away. Yeah. Uh, so frustrating. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, you know, they're not the top of my sympathy list, but this horrible lady governor and her family probably believed these lies for most of this time. Right. Like she's I I don't know. I mean, it was OK. So so there was a story which I did for the American Institute uh, for, for Economic uh, Research. This this is a, a story which came out came out on the day after. The, the FBI made the announcement and uh, the the comment where, where the hell is my comment on this it was basically you know it was basically saying that the entire thing sounded like a um, you know like a crock I mean there was this you know this crazy stuff about uh, about hijacking a, a Black Hawk helicopter <laughs> I love that part um, I had some really nasty comments about the case where they edited it out <laughs> ah, this is from the, the story which I did in October 2020 I'll send a link to add, uh, so, Great. um, but, uh, yeah, that'll be no. in the show notes guys. And no um, question. I'm sure you were on this at the beginning and no surprise there whatsoever. But I mean, I think, you know, I don't know about her and her husband, but 
presumably like, you know, I don't know, grandparents and nieces and nephews and kids saw this stuff on TV, really had reason to worry that their relation was going to get kidnapped and lynched. That's hey, kind of a big deal. Like, if you're her 10-year-old or whatever, I'm just assuming I'm making up a thing. But you know what I mean? Like, she must have kids and stuff like that. That's uh, pretty scary, you know? Well, I mean, uh, I will just mention that, that uh, she's one of uh, Joe Biden's favorite governors. Oh, yeah, no question. And as you described there, she was absolutely just a totalitarian monster during the lockdown phase and all that. So, like I said, yeah. not at the top of my sympathy list, but still, like— you know, kind of extras in the FBI skit that they put on here, right? You know what I mean? With whatever attendant collateral damage still, you know? Maybe. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I don't know how much how much of what she knew. OK, so uh, so here was my comment on the day after the FBI made the announcement. This is the day after there were 90,000 uh, tweets. Uh, Stop Trump terror. Stop Trump's terror. You know, so I said the, I said the alleged. Michigan plot is almost too idiotic to believe. The alleged conspirators purportedly plan to kidnap Whitmer, take her to Wisconsin for a private trial. Uh, this is on par with the 2006 FBI fabricated plot, Liberty City 7, you know, where they were talking about blowing up government buildings and the yeah. so-called terrorists were so stupid, so stupid that they asked for terrorist uniforms to hold a parade. <laughs> so those poor guys. And you know, our friend Margaret Griffiths at antiwar.com, she lives in Miami. And she says, oh, oh yeah, this Liberty Seven, Liber Liberty City 7 plot against the Sears Tower is what it was. They're going to blow up the Sears Tower in Chicago. She goes, I got news for you. Here's the Sears Tower. And she published this on the antiwar.com blog. And it's a three-story building in Liberty oh, City in the ghetto in Miami. And she's like, this is what we call the Sears Tower around here. That's what these wow. guys were talking about. That's what they were trapped entrapped into threatening. Meanwhile, every TV news station in the top of the New York Times says, these guys are going to take down the Sears Tower in Chicago, you know? Yeah, there was a, there was a, a PBS was a front line that actually did a superb investigation on, on how the FBI set up those, uh, those, those poor guys. And, Only 15 and, uh, years too late, too. Good for them. Yeah, well, you know, yes, you're right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad that they did take a look at it. And a lot of those guys are still in prison. And we covered this on the show all along. There were great journalists who covered this all along. And like, there was the one poor guy who had left the group a year prior. And they went ahead and threw him in and indicted him anyway. Brought him back. You know what I mean? Just tried them all together. Just the whole thing was so unfair, dude. Well, and, and here's $20,000. Say you love Osama into the microphone, dummy. Okay, I love Osama. Gotcha. Okay, whatever. You know, yeah, those FBI is, agents belong in prison for that. Well, this is this is part of the reason why in in my times I've talked to libertarians, I'm just saying, look, you know, watch your mouth, watch your mouth. Yeah, you don't know who's who's going to be taping you. So, yep. And in fact, because you could have real good guys who went to jail, and now the feds are holding something over him. So he never was a cop before. He's a good guy, but now he's compromised, and you don't know. You he's know? working at, working off his never plea know. bargain. He's he's got to bring in some scalps. Exactly, man. So, and you know, it's pretty easy to not threaten violence against people. Just don't do that. You know, I don't <laughs> yes, know. Yes, that's a, that's a real good standard. Now. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. Hey, uh, hey, that thing you feel like saying, just say it another way. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, it's sort of like, yes, yes. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's a question of nouns and verbs. That's right. This this politician is making me very, very angry right now. Just say it like that. <clears throat> Call them a, a bathroom word, you know. Uh, hey, I have another question for you now about this judge in this courtroom and this whole farce of a proceeding here. How in the hell did these guys get acquitted by a federal jury, which is there to convict? Well, they had some good lawyers, and there was there was there was one guy who chose to testify. He was warned about that, but he testified, and he apparently connected with the jury. Um, there there were there were four people on trial. Two of them were acquitted, and two of them the jury was hung. The feds are going to retry them. But unless the feds can can exclude all the evidence next time, I don't think the feds are going to do that well. But um, there was there was enough evidence that kind of leaked into the case, and there were enough. Um, uh, huge troubles with the FBI on this because, um, okay, there was an orgy in Kalamazoo and, and then there was a second FBI agent in this case who got sidelined because he was, because he set up a side hustle with a cybersecurity firm that he was running. Mm -hmm. And there was a, there was a third guy who had other legal issues and it's like, uh, so you have the whole, the whole first team of the FBI is kind of like, well, uh, you, you know, we can't hear anything from them. So it's just Wait, a lot just of Just on that, well, let me make sure I understand it, because this is an important point. We did talk with Ken about this before on the show. about You're telling me the prosecutor said to the judge, hey, judge, all of the federal cops who worked on this case, we don't want to call any of them to testify as prosecution witnesses. We're just going to go with people, staff from the office to read off of documents or whatever it is. Because we wouldn't dare put these guys under oath in your courtroom. Is that basically what we're talking about here? Um, I think that's overstated. I don't think that the feds, that the prosecutor said that about all the FBI agents. But oh, three, of the three of the key ones were, uh, you know, uh, vanished. So, um, and I think that the that the lawyers for the defendants were not allowed to say, well, yeah, you know, the origin in Kalamazoo, you know, might have been fun, but, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, as soon as he got home, he, you know, beat up his wife. So, you know, right. um, I mean, I don't know if she enjoyed it. No, shut up. Oh, God dang. I'm sure it wasn't that kind of party, Jim. <laughs> I mean, until later. Uh, like. Yeah. Yes. Anyhow, so I'm uh, going back to the high ground here. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's where we were this whole time up until just now. Hell, I think I've caused caused enough troubles for you and Google. Yeah. No, it's all right. No, listen. So, um, I mean, can you tell me anything about the kid that took the stand here? You said he was warned, man, you shouldn't do that. And he got up there. And uh, what happened? Is there a narrative there you know of? Uh, I would think that, that the Detroit News or Free Press would have covered it on a daily basis and would probably have a good thing. Uh, Ken Bensinger might have had a good summary of his testimony. Um, I was looking at other parts of this puzzle, so I didn't focus on that guy's yeah, testimony right. specifically, but from what I heard, it was effective with the jury. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's a hell of a thing to be, to be sitting there on trial and your entire life is hanging here by a thread and you're watching the prosecutors block uh, one move after another, which, which, you know, which could put the truth it, um, you know, which could bring the truth into the case. And instead, you're just, you know, you're uh, sitting there like some parody of yourself. Hang on just one second. Hey, y'all, the audiobook of my book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, is finally done. 
Yes, of course, read by me. It's available at Audible, Amazon, Apple Books, and soon on Google Play and whatever other options there are out there. It's my history of America's war on terrorism from 1979 through today. Give it a listen and see if you agree. It's time to just come home. Enough already. Time to end the war on terrorism. The audiobook. Hey guys, I've had a lot of great webmasters over the years, but the team at ExpandDesigns.com have by far been the most competent and reliable. Harley Abbott and his team have made great sites for the show and the Institute, and they keep them running well, suggesting and making improvements all along. Make a deal with ExpandDesigns.com for your new business or news site. They will take care of you. Use the promo code SCOTT and save $500. That's ExpandDesigns.com. Hey guys, Scott Horton here for Listen and Think Libertarian Audiobooks. As you may know, the audiobook of my new book, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, is finally out. It's co-produced by our longtime friends at Listen and Think Libertarian Audiobooks. For many years now, Derek Sheriff over there at Listen and Think has offered lifetime subscriptions to anyone who donates $100 or more to The Scott Horton Show at scotthorton.org donate or to the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org donate. And they've got a bunch of great titles, including Inside Syria by the late, great Reese Ehrlich. That's listenandthink.com. Yeah, I mean, I always wonder about that, people on trial who they're innocent and they got their lives in the hands of their lawyers and... Who could tell your own story better than you, you know? But then, of course, you're opening yourself up to cross-examination and how are they going to spin it and that kind of thing. But it always seemed to me, for people who really didn't do it, more risky to let some other guy make your case for you because he's going to miss something, you know what I mean? I guess it depends on who you are and who well, the lawyer it's is. A, but. Yeah, yeah, it's a question of what your background is and what kind of things that the prosecutor might be able to pull into the, uh, the courtroom as a result of you being on the witness stand. So, yeah, um, happily, I haven't had to make that decision myself so far. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, my whole life, for whatever reason, I think from Saturday morning cartoons or whatever, from just from the time I was so young, the idea of being falsely accused and falsely convicted and just you have your one chance in court. But for whatever reason, it ain't good enough. And off you go. Like, that's the worst fate. That's a fate worse than death. Go off really? to prison for decades. You got one chance at being a human. And and then you spend decades in a cage for some BS because of some job holder. You know? In fact, yep. I don't know, I've told this story before. I don't know if I ever told it to you that I did walk in on armed robbery and I did end up testifying against that guy. Although I didn't point my finger at him in court because I didn't get that good of a look at him. So I was not willing to swear that that's definitely the guy. I wasn't uh -huh. going to, like, go, you know, past, you know. I never turned on a friend or whatever. I just walked in on the guy beating the old man with a club over the head. Kind of wow. And, but I have to say that the prosecutor, she was like, I don't know, 26 or something. I met her at Starbucks two days before. I told her, here's my story. And you know me, I tell stories pretty well. And, yeah. um... And I don't think I, like, overdid it like I was explaining the war in Yemen or whatever. You know what I mean? I just told, this is what <laughs> happened. And, and, uh, and then two days later, she's trying to examine me on direct, and I had to do all the storytelling for her. Like, she couldn't even set me up and ask the questions in the right order or anything. And even wow. just set me up to even just say, this is what happened. I walked into the Quickie Mart. I passed by the guy and the guys behind the counter. I just assumed they were vendors or something, you know? I don't know. 
walked over there to the coffee, started getting my coffee, and then realized, like, oh, holy shit, this guy's beating that guy over that. Oh, no, and then there's two of them and one of me, so I left and called the cops, and that's what I saw, and here's the video of that happening, just like I described it a second ago, and whatever, whatever. But, but um, essentially, she was completely incompetent, is my point. She couldn't even wow. direct examine me about what I saw. And then I felt bad for the defense attorneys because they didn't really have anything to work with because I wasn't embellishing my story beyond what was certainly right. And I was explaining sure. myself perfectly well on what I did see. And so they didn't really have much to work with there. But, um, but anyway, that's not the point. The point is the prosecutor, I mean, hell, for all I know, Jim, they did get the wrong guy sitting there. You know what I mean? Like, at least I didn't point my finger at him, but maybe I helped convict the wrong guy. For all I know, they just found a black guy who was, like, in his early 20s. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't. I, I can't trust him. That's the trial I participated in, and I have wow. my own reasonable doubts. Well, it's probably good you weren't in the jury. I know. I guess. I would have it acquitted the guy. The prosecutor, it, it, it was good for the prosecutor that you were not in the jury, but, yeah, yeah it sounds... Uh, uh, it sounded like you were very honest, but that wasn't maybe not what the prosecutor wanted. So he did have a very unique car. It was a Chevy Beretta with the back window blown out. You know? Like, oh yeah. yeah, back window blown out. That's <laughs> that's that's unusual. And there ain't too many Berettas around. You know what I mean? Even it's the two door Corsica. They don't really do make many of those. Anyway. Okay. Well, you know, it's a. Um, um, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, I've never, uh, uh, I don't think I've ever testified in a criminal case, so. Yeah, I mean, and I felt bad doing it because I'm on the side of the government here, but man, whoever it was, like, damn near killed that old man. If I hadn't walked in, he probably would have killed him because I'm sure, you know, they split right after I did kind of thing, you know. Well, it, it's, uh, you know. It's a case for carrying of, a gun around with you wherever you go, you know. I didn't have one. Yep. Well, it, I, I mean, part, uh, part of the you know, the, the uh, backstory in these kind of things is there are bad people out there. There are some very dangerous criminals uh, who are very violent. And a case like this wrecks, wrecks the government's credibility. I mean, yeah. because um, this is a problem the FBI has had in a number of court cases is people no longer trust FBI agents, especially when they're not willing to do a tape, do a, do a tape recording of their interviews or people's confessions. That was how the case in uh, Florida with the Pulse nightclub massacre blew up. I did a story for USA Today on that. You had, you know, the uh, the, the feds made this big deal of the widow of the um, of, of the guy that did the killings, and they were trying to say that, say that she was complicit and that she knew all along. But uh, you know, but they hammered her for like I think 17 or 18 hours, and she didn't have a lawyer, and she finally signed this confession. Uh, and the FBI brought it to her federal trial, but it turned out it had all these false statements in the confession that just blew up their case. Mm -hmm. So, And it also revealed a lot of things that they had lied about, about Omar Mateen, the perpetrator there. Yes. About how, oh, he was mad because radical Islam makes you murder gay people, when in fact that had nothing whatsoever to do with it at all. They were just the first Google result for nightclub in Orlando after he gave up on Disneyland, which he was attacking also not for their gayness, but just because he thought that would be Disney World, I mean. He thought also that would be, you know, the most spectacular attack he could do. And he decided they just had too good a security, too many layers of security to get in there. So he Googled nightclub and went there. And as far as problems with his sexuality, this way or that, supposed problems as the government had 
phrased it. She said there was none of that whatsoever. That was a complete hoax perpetrated by the government. And, well, and really, you know what? Not to belabor that point, but let's belabor it for a second. That was such a huge deal. This is a horrific massacre. And one, by the way, where the cops hid in cowardly terror outside like Columbine for hours while people were bleeding to death in there. And they even had cops who were brave enough who were storming in there and they were going to get this guy or die trying. And they were called back and they gave up and left. Uh, they were inside the place, almost to the bathroom, and they were called back. And then the cops stayed outside for hours while people bled in there. It was all this horrific massacre, this huge trauma, like akin to the Oklahoma bombing or some kind of thing like this. Completely just insane, you know, kind of mini September 11th kind of a thing. You know, really bad, though. And well, and it was all, oh, oh, the, the terrorist enemy hates gay people. So now you have... You know, if, if anybody in America is soft on the terror war, it's the leftists, like li like to the left of the liberals, right? Where a lot of the homosexual, um, you know, political lobby and whatever is really, you'd call them progressive or socialist or leftist more than just liberal, you know? And then, so their kind of opposition to the terror war got completely neutralized right there. That, ah, see, the enemy hates you for who you are. It's not just about those, uh, you know, office workers in New York or those generals at the Pentagon. It's you just for waking up in the morning. And that's whose side you need to be on now is the American military side in this war. And that was just this huge... A, you know, de facto psyop, if not like direct one there in its effect that it had on Scott, you know the American political psyche at that time is terrible. And it was all yeah. pure lie. OK, but but there is a huge uh, detail that you're leaving out here. And that was the father of the shooter at the Pulse nightclub was a long term FBI informant who oh, may have yeah. helped protect his son because his son was saying and doing all kinds of stuff that was putting him on the law enforcement radar, he was trouble. I mean, he's the kind of person that that the feds, that police would have been justified in doing um, a lot more on before his mass killing. But his father was a long-term FBI informant, and that's something which came out in the trial. Yep. And then remind me on the details of when the gun shop was real suspicious about this guy and refused to sell him a rifle and called the FBI and gave them his name and said, what's the deal with this guy? Right. Didn't something like that. You remember the details? Uh, there was, uh, there were all kinds of warning flags, but uh, perhaps because of his father's connections, you know, he was not, uh, you know, he was not treated like a, um, like a typical private citizen would have been treated in a case like this. So that's our security force for you right there. You know, and then there's a Las Vegas massacre, but this, but that's too much. So, well, I don't know enough about that. Why don't you tell me some things? I got to. Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> FBI, you know what? Uh, so, how many people were shot? How many hundred people were shot? Um, FBI claims that they do a thorough investigation for a long time, and then they come out with a three-page summary. Nope, didn't find anything about motive. Didn't find anything, and people let the FBI get away with that. So, that's incredible. Do you have an idea of what really went on there? Or the best well, revisionist journalism about what may have gone on there or anything? Well, Scott, according to my inside sources, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But it's just, you know, that's an awful lot of dead bodies, an awful lot of wounded folks, and to have no answers. I mean, it was the biggest terrorist attack since 9-11. So, yep. And we really know almost nothing about it. Yeah, pretty crazy. Well, uh, you know, uh, back years ago when I first started doing this show, 19 years ago, 
right around then, I interviewed Frederick Whitehurst, who is oh, interesting. the uh, FBI whistleblower from uh-huh. the uh, crime lab who said that they manufactured evidence in the case of Waco and Oklahoma City. And I forgot there was one more, but I'm not certain. Um, and I interviewed him a few times and I talked to him on the phone, too, a couple of times. And I remember him explaining to me that, you know, the FBI, I'm putting words in his mouth here. This is not an exact quote, but to paraphrase essentially that, that it's a cult, right? That as a member of the FBI, it's like you're hazed into this fraternity kind of a thing where you have this like overriding, like almost religious sort of loyalty to the institution itself. And it's not to the United States of America and it's not to the American people. It's to the Bureau. And the Bureau is job one and protecting the Bureau is job one. And your role is an, as, as an agent of the Bureau and all of this thing. And it's almost like Scientology or whatever kind of deal where it's just it, it has it's um, such a thorough value system that it precludes all other values kind of a way of putting it. You know what I mean? It's the only thing that matters. And so if that means they got to cover up the Oklahoma bombing, then they'll cover up the Oklahoma bombing. And, you know, whatever it is, they don't give a damn uh, if it means preventing Donald Trump from getting reelected. They'll frame some guys for trying to kill the governor of Michigan. They'll go for it, you know? And, uh, and and I guess there's not anyone even who works there who goes, wow, should we maybe not do this? You know what I mean? Like, they're I, all in. They go for it. I don't know. I, uh, my impression is that there are some FBI agents who uh, have, you know, have maintained a moral compass um, and, and and do and have pushed back a little bit against some of these things. And maybe they've spoken out, but they certainly have not been welcomed on Capitol Hill. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's been it's been so so politicized and it's frustrating that there's so little investigation uh, about the FBI's role in the last two in in the most recent two presidential elections because that is the biggest thing that strikes me about this Michigan case is this you know this uh, this whole kidnapping you know, Whitmer plot was a crock of a total crock from the start and yet, uh, folks, are, you know, um, it doesn't seem to be holding anybody's attention in Washington. There are real questions about what the FBI was doing to influence the 2020 election. Yep. And yet, you know, uh, crickets. Yep. Just goes on. Well, that's why we're here, at least. And hey, good for you. You put this in Alexander Hamilton's New York Post. That gets a lot of eyeballs. It's not exactly the Washington Post, but it's better for some things. That's for sure, you know. Well, I was glad the editors liked the story, and it has some great artwork. It, it's the the story in the printed paper is almost two full pages because it's got this great artwork that's like a full page. I was oh, great. They have great artists there and great editors. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Yeah, well, that the art didn't make it into the online version, but it's still a very good and thorough one, and one for sharing with your friends and family here. Check it out inside the FBI's infiltration and entrapment of a Michigan militia crew by Jim Bovard at the New York Post. Thanks, Jim. Hey, thanks a lot, Scott. Oh, yeah. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.